Good evening. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. Hello, this is Yarrow Stark. And this is Walter Haas. And welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship. Thanks so much for joining us on our second, sort of second episode or seventh podcast second so official. far. Yes. Uh, I'm happy to announce that I am now currently talking on a Rode podcaster, just like Walter. Uh, I'm still getting used to it, though, so I'm configuring things for my room. Uh, makes you sound more like Barry White, is what Walter tells me. So, <laughs> Once you cut the reverb, Yara. Yeah, I have a bit of a problem. I've got a high-ceiling room I'm in at the moment, and I think it needs some, uh, what do you call it, psychologist padding. So I'm in a crazy person's room to get rid of the reverb. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it's for, right? So. Uh, yeah, let, let's go with that. That white room was all because of the audio. <laughs> yeah, that's right, so you can get good acoustics. So, Walter, uh, oh, for everyone listening in, this is what we talk about once a week. We come on here and we talk about entrepreneurship and what we've been doing with our own businesses and uh, you know, connecting with everyone. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that the... The, t- the title of our show and the intro music were well received by uh, our audience and we've started to get a few feedback comments from people saying they love the format we're doing, which is this sort of rambling on about various subjects format. Uh, so that's great news, isn't it, Walter? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> we're not going to change, are we? Yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> structure. Who needs structure, right? <laughs> yeah, structure. <laughs> Amateurs. Yes, we like to... Uh, to riff. So riffing, what happened in the last week for your business? Oh, well, uh, yes, I lost a thousand dollars worth of ad sales. And that's all thanks to the time difference between the US and Australia. So the ad sales I do make, they usually come in when I'm awake and I reply immediately. And then the advertiser replies immediately and there's a bit of backwards and forwards and then ad goes live. But uh, for all those ad sales that come in during the night for me, I usually reply six hours later and yeah, none of those sales came in. So I was a bit upset. Mm, That's a really good point actually. I remember with almost every site I've owned actually, the importance of getting back to an ad buyer quickly. That's one of the reasons why Cranky Ads and, well, I guess I should fill people in, our startup we used to have called Cranky Ads, which is an ad management tool for bloggers. The initial ideas for that came from my early days buying and selling uh, I'm saying that phrase way too much recently came from my original experience selling advertising on first my magic card game website and then blogs I had and, and some other sites some forums and one of the most important things was being able to well if you're doing it manually like you're doing it Walter getting back to them instantaneously because at the point of purchasing an ad it's like this it's almost like an impulse buy at a supermarket. You know, they're picking up the chocolate bar as they go through the, the checkout counter. Oh, do I want to buy this ad? Okay, we'll give it a shot. So that's why I wanted Cranky Ads to be automated so that there was no barrier for them buying whenever that impulse hits. So, you know, clearly you've experienced the opposite of that. When you don't get back to them quick enough, then uh, they change their mind, right? Exactly. And the reason I did it that way originally was as be- is because I was going really lean. So... Don't code anything that isn't absolutely necessary and instant ad buying or self-serve ad buying wasn't necessary, so I didn't do it, but uh, now it's definitely getting to the point where it's a necessity. Otherwise, obviously, you know, I'm losing, losing quite a few sales there. Yeah, the problem being in Australia where uh, most of your customers will be in America. 
So uh, my week, uh, for those who probably know this already, if you've been listening to the show, I released a how to buy and sell blogs and websites for passive profits guide. It's my second e-guide in a, a little series I'm doing. And it's actually just launched this week. This week I'll be writing a lot about uh, buying and selling websites and blogs for my newsletter and for my blog. And I uh, kind of opened it to early birds on Friday and it's been selling over the weekend. And I'm, I'm really stoked actually because my kind of bare minimum target is has almost been reached and we're only just hitting the launch week. So we're almost at 50 people who bought it over the weekend, which I'm, I'm very happy about. I'm a little bit surprised, to be honest. I, I knew this was an interesting topic, but I hadn't really written about it in a while, so I wasn't sure what the current uh, kind of trend is with interest in the subject. And I, it's a great subject, you know, who, who doesn't want to buy a website and potentially have a, you know, a near-passive income stream. Um, but yeah, I worked on it over the weekend, just doing some tweaks. But really, it's at the stage where I love... <laughs> who doesn't love this when I'm, I reach the point when the product's actually on sale and it's during the launch week is when you get the most of your sales and it's just emails coming in with sales. It's a great thing. Uh, you know, I've actually, since this is a small product, I haven't done the thing where I need to keep up with my customers and build it. I've actually created this in advance because it's not a massive product. It's not a course. It's a, you know, a guide package. So the hard work's done already is what I'm saying, and the money comes in now. It feels like it's passive, even though it's not, but it does come in while you're sleeping, which is something you know everyone talks about is was loving. And uh, that is actually the subject we want to talk about today with you all. We've been promising to talk about that, which is passive income. So how can you make it online? What exactly is it? And uh, how we've done it or come close to doing it? And uh, yeah, I'd love to get your opinions on that, Walter. I know you've been striving hard for passive income in all kinds of different projects over the years, right? Well, that's right. I mean, um, I come from a consulting programming background. So whenever I get money, it always it's always associated with doing a certain amount of work. And when you go from working for someone to consulting, obviously your rate increases, but there's still that sort of element of, well, I'm going to make some money, but I have to, you know, work. And sometimes it's still 12, midnight, uh, 3 a.m. if you've got a deadline coming up. So you, you get that general sense of money equals bad, hassle, uh, lots of work, uncomfortable. But the biggest thing I realized with passive income when I started on that journey a few years ago is it feels good when you make some money. Even, even if it's $10, $100, it feels good because there's no work or anything uncomfortable associated with it. Of course, like you pointed this out, you still need to do a lot of groundwork before that ever happens. So you might be working for three months, four months to get, to get up to that point where you're making passive income. But eventually, you start, you, can, you start making money without having to put any more work into it, and then any work you do put into it just increases that. Mm, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm kind of curious, Walter, with the experiments because I'm thinking back I've known you a few years now I remember you've done experiments with ebooks um, obviously software type projects you had uh, apps or well, not apps we had mobile phone games as well in there didn't you? you've done quite a mm -hmm. few things can, can you remember your first attempt at passive income and you know what you learned in that experience well my first attempt was actually back in 2006 writing mobile phone games and that was in the age before the iPhone and at the time, we thought we didn't 
we didn't do too well because uh, we only made $10,000 over six months. But in hindsight, uh, you know, we didn't know that the iPhone was coming out. We thought the mobile phone market was kind of stagnant the way it was. So at plus, you know, we ran out of money, so we had to do some consulting work and we ended up doing that. But mm. the, the brilliant thing looking back at it was once that product was out there, we were making $10,000 every single, you know, every six months. And if we just made another game and another game and another game, then at the end of the next year, for instance, we would have been making $30,000 every six months. Potentially. You just, it potentially. And, you know, at that stage, it wouldn't have taken six months because we already had the code. So we should really have continued with that. Especially and, with the iPhone coming out. Oh, man. <laughs> I the know. Moment. 2020. Hindsight, yeah. always 2020. But uh, yeah, uh, definitely with passive income, it, it pays to be persistent because you're not going to make much money at the start, but you will make uh, money, more money than you could working for, mm. you know, working for cash in the long run. And that's really the key. That's the key difference between passive income and consulting. Yeah, and I think we need to sort of clarify passive income and, and near passive income to have this discussion properly because I think if you're talking pure passive income, you know, everything we're talking about so far really isn't pure passive because there will be the little things that require looking into, even if it's just ongoing customer support. Like for example, my buy and sell guide for you know how to buy and sell websites and blogs guide. I've been making sales over the weekend, but you know we've had a customer support query where their their ebook didn't get or their membership account didn't get created properly, so that needed to be supported. Now it's okay because I have a system already set up with Angela, my assistant, who deals with that. So in a sense, it's it's quite passive for me. But I had to build that system. There was a period before Angela where I did all my customer service, and then you know I think well I'd like to go back in time actually because. That's really, for me, the progression as uh, a movement towards some form of passive income or basically reducing the labor of all the projects I've had over the years. That's been one of the main goals. How can I start taking myself out of each of these projects yet keep the income coming? Uh, now, I think pure passive income, a lot of people think about real estate investment, stock market investment, um, even just putting money into some sort of you know, long-term deposit. Uh, annuities, these sorts of things where you get a guaranteed income return. Uh, now, each of those things I just mentioned have different levels of risk and different levels of potential return involved. You know, obviously, with a, a, a term deposit and an annuity, it's really you putting a bunch of money into an account and you get some money back. And it's all, it's not a guarantee, like the banking system could collapse and everything goes to shit. <laughs> Pardon my French. Oh, wow, that, that sounds very improbable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that never happens. Um, Sarcasm, yeah. But that's, that's by far, I think, in current day and age, the, the, the most likely secure form of passive income you can get. The problem with it is you need a, a really big chunk of capital to make it worthwhile. And you know, you're not going to get a 10% return easily. Uh, most people can access sort of 3 or 4 or 5 or 6%. I know that's what the, the, like the, the banking system here in Australia will provide you. Um, then property and stock, you've obviously got the, the both sides of that it can go up and down. We, I mean, I know I've got both stock and I've got property, and you and I have talked before about the 
the problems with property as an income source. I mean, you've you've had issues with uh, bad tenants and fixing things. I mean, you had a tenant die, didn't you, in a property? Yes, yes, I did. Um, yeah, that was that was quite unfortunate, actually. Um, I was very sad because uh, he was a very nice guy, and I didn't know anything was wrong. But when something like that happens, obviously the insurance, or at least my insurance, didn't cover it. So I was out two, three months rent. Mm. And I've had similar issues, not well, not a tenant dying, but I had a property that I purchased as an investment, and I lost two or three worth, two or three months worth of rent because I couldn't get a tenant in because the property had purple walls. Um, I was didn't really think it would be that big a deal, but once I painted the, painted the walls white, I got a tenant. Who knew? <laughs> purple walls not popular. So yeah, there's all kinds of potential, you know, downsides, and and there was work. I had to get the walls painted, so I had to organize the tradesmen and all that. So, but that being said once you get things going. And I think that might be the key thing here. Passive income seems to be more about a situation where once you get things going, your labor drops off and the income stays steady. Now, in the terms of the internet, I'd I'd love to first address this issue because I'm getting questions from people who are asking me, can I buy a blog? Can I buy a website? And just let it sit there and will it be a passive income source? And this is a really important question because the ratios of income to capital acquisition costs with web property is so much smaller compared to property and stock. By that I mean you can get a much higher return on a smaller amount of capital on the web compared to you know spending half a million dollars on a property where you can and that might make you you know enough money to cover the mortgage payments and a little bit of principal, which what what could be two two thousand dollars a month, three thousand dollars a month. So you're getting a two to three thousand dollar a month rental return on a half a million dollar asset, where on the web you can get a two to three thousand dollar income return on something that might cost as little as even. Oh, I mean, back in the day, I, I, it was pretty scary. You could buy a website for twenty grand and start making two grand a month from it. Uh, probably more realistic today is fifty thousand dollars could bring you you know a two grand income stream, but even on the lower scale you don 't have to go and get a half a million dollar mortgage. You can just get online, buy yourself uh, a blog or a website at five hundred to a thousand dollars, and already have fifty dollars a month a hundred dollars a month coming in from that site so the ratios are good that 's why it 's more appealing and that 's why I, I always pay attention to that as an option because I love the idea of having a portfolio the, and the uh... The standard example is when you're buying web properties, it's usually the rule of thumb that you should make your money back in a year. So if you do nothing, um, you should make your money back at the end of the 12 months or sometimes 24 months. Mm. Yeah, the one year to two year uh, income is about right. So one year to two year of the monthly income will equal what you paid for the site. Now, you know that varies, depends on what kind of site you're buying. And, and you mentioned... The important thing there, Walter, is you don't do any work on it. So the theory is it's passive. Now, from experience, that isn't always true. (laughs) Now, the, the risks here is you need to find a way to maintain the mechanism that this website has to deliver value. So, you know, most sites do that through content. Uh, sometimes it might not be content, it might be actually um, buying traffic. So the value usually turns into an audience and the audience then allows you to derive an income. So with a blog, it's usually produce regular content and you've got people paying for advertising. You know, a site like your 
startup right now, the value is the ongoing development of tools with KickSpy to help Kickstarter campaign owners. You could the stop. Idea, Sorry. The idea being, though, that once the tools are all developed and I get to a certain level of income, I can stop, you know, developing it more uh, yeah. as actively. And and it's a good example. Let's say you bought KickSpy at the stage you're at now instead of developing it all yourself. You'd have an income stream coming in mm-hmm. and you'd have some of the tools there. But if you start working on the site altogether, you probably would notice slow de- decrease in the amount of income you have. And that's because that's right, you're yeah. not doing any more exposure for the tools. Um, you're not, you won't be responding to customer service queries, which probably come in. That's an important one. So you kind of need, need to maintain the status quo and potentially do some new things. Uh, one of the other models is buying a product like an ebook and then selling it. Uh, Will Swain did that and he used pay-per-click advertising through Google AdWords to promote the, uh, the soap making product ebook he'd bought. So he was selling that. Now that didn't have an existing traffic stream beyond paid audience so he was needed to actually set up an adwords campaign but his skill is that so once he set up the adwords campaign he just checked in on it once a day for five minutes to make sure everything was running smoothly so it was very very close to passive income at that stage so that's probably the best sort of uh, example you want to look for when you buy your own website you want to look for something that's completely devalued the way it is right now because like you said that the soap making ebook wasn't getting any traffic right yeah, and you're quite right because that made the site cheaper. Like Will paid two thousand dollars for it. Although to be honest, it wasn't making a ton of money. I think he made a hundred dollars a month. The, the previous owner, because she was the soap expert. That's what she loved teaching the soap making, and she'd written a book about it. But she wasn't a marketer, so Will came on board as a marketer. And I think your, your point is actually really good in the sense that if you can come on board where there's an obvious latency, so something you can do to quickly make an income from the website but also it taps into your skill set like you would look for software i would look for blogs will would look for something you could drive pay-per-click advertising to and that's because we know how to make money with these tools so it, you know it's, it's a better form of leverage for us so the the message in that is look for a web property that is making maybe a little bit of money not as much as it could make and the thing it's lacking is what you're perfect at, what your skills line up with. Yeah, or look for other forms of leverage. Like you have a product of your own you can sell. You know, would you go out there right now, Walter, and buy some other sites that have Kickstarter-related audiences? Well, not at the moment because it doesn't fit in with my strategy. But if, say, I, I finish off with what I want with Kickspy and move on to the next product, then I'd definitely be looking at something, some web property that's already making money that I can automate through software. Mm -hmm. And I bet though, if someone came to you right now and they had a Kickstarter tool that you didn't have in your tool set and you Mm -hmm. thought it was good and they just wanted to sell it to you, you would potentially be interested. I would buy that in a heartbeat, yes. If I could sell it, I would buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah, so there's, there's always an obvious connection with what you're doing and a way for you to gain unusually high leverage compared to a general audience. So that's what you need to look for. But going back to this point about passive income, I think it's pretty clear now based on what we're talking, it's not pure passive. It's not buy, let it sit there and you make money forever. You know, one of the questions I got was, can you buy a blog and then not do anything and have the income come in? And and the the example given was, can I buy a $10,000 blog that brings in $1,000 and then just let it run for the entire year and it will cover itself, and then I'll have a $1,000 income stream. And the answer to that is maybe. 
because it, theoretically you could. The trick would be you need to make sure that blog continues to have traffic in order to make money. So you don't, you'd want to understand how is it getting traffic? Is it, is it search traffic coming to articles in the archives? Or is it repeat visitors looking for daily fresh content? Is it a mix of those two things? Where does the traffic come from? How can you maintain it? Those are the questions you need to answer. And then it ties into obviously how much money you make. So the answer is it certainly could become a, a pure passive play. And that's what happened to me with the blog purchase I did with small business branding. Uh, I bought that blog for $2,000 when it was making about $100, $250 a month in advertising income and affiliate income. But there was no writers. I had to write it when I first took it over, which wasn't obviously passive. I found myself writing for two blogs. But I was like, this is not going to work. I don't want to write for two blogs because I'd like all my business-related content to go to one blog because that makes sense. So it forced me to find a way to automate and outsource the content creation process, which is what I did. And I hired a manager as well. So then it became basically pure passive. At that point, I did chuck in maybe an hour a week of work to make that income come in because the manager looked after the team of volunteer writers as well as all the, the emails that came in and any problems with the technology. So it was very hands-off. And, and that's a very good point, Yarrow. I mean, most of the time, if you're looking at passive income websites, it's not necessarily about the processes that you have in place, but the people you hire to take over it. So you can just make a, an existing website that takes a bit of time and effort to maintain passive by hiring someone to do that work for you. Of course, in that case, you need to be good or get good at hiring the right people. So true, Walter. That, that's probably the secret sauce, I think, with any form of automation of a business. It comes down to hiring. And that's at all stages. That's small business, little you know, contractors like what you've done in the past. You could hire people to take over some of the work to the, the largest companies where they're looking to hire A players. Um, I'm actually reading the Amazon book right now, so about Jeff Bezos from Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. And you know they've been around a long time. They were mid-1990s when they started, and they went through the whole dot-com boom and bust in the sort of late 90s, 2000s. And the hiring process that they had for new staff was, was pretty harsh. Uh, you know, they had all these multiple interviews and, and you know, people coming in and, and taking part in the interview to assess and anyone could veto a candidate. If you got vetoed, then you were screwed. But one of the things I, I liked about the way they did the interviews, uh, Jeff or someone would ask a question like, uh, how many uh, fax machines are there in the United States? And you can imagine you're sitting there for an interview to work in this job. And that's got nothing to do with your, your potential role. It's just how good are you at problem solving? So, Walter, how many faxes are there in Australia right now? Oh, dear. Well, I'm a programmer, so... <laughs> doesn't matter. Gonna... You're hiring me for my company. I want to see how good you are at problem of solving. Course, of course, Yeah, so I would, uh, I would look at this analytically and then go, well, how many businesses are running in the U.S.? What are the general sizes? We're doing Australia now. Oh, Australia. Okay. And so how many business are, <laughs> businesses are in Australia, general sizes, and then that determine a number of fax machines per employees <laughs> calculation. Um, but of course, that's not very creative. And from my hiring experience, I know you want to look at something, you know, creative, creative problem solving. So, yeah, um, I, yeah I, I'm I, not sure the answer to the question. It might be, you know, go directly to all the, the, the fax 
uh, distributors and ask how many products they've sold in the last 10 years or something like that. But Well, know. look at the stock price of the fax machine creators. So Ooh, zero. I'm not sure that's going to get you a number of... Anyway. <laughs> it's creative. It's different. Yeah, that's what, that's what, what, what you're looking to demonstrate is your ability to, to problem solve and think on your feet and be creative. So it's interesting part of the hiring process. And uh, yeah, it just shows that hiring at every level of a company is basically the, the paramount concern. And it becomes more and more important as you get larger, I believe, uh, because you hire more people and your company becomes less dependent on you and more on others. So, um, yeah, but I did want to... Another ahead. good thing to just interject there is when you do hire someone, it it's never going to be as perfect as when you do the job. So the person you're hiring, they don't expect them to get every email right, every customer support uh, query right. But if they save you most of your time and only screw up once or twice, then that's still better than you doing everything. Mm. That being said, I do think if you're going pure A player, especially as you diversify into roles you don't normally do, you will get people better than you, for sure. Like you would be always better at me than accounting, Walter. Not that I'd you know, hire you for that job, but I'm going to hire people who are better than me in accounting, better at me at pay-per-click advertising. So there's only a few jobs, I think, and, and you're probably talking about the early stage where you're just looking for a few contractors to work with to, to lighten your load, and they might be doing Definitely. things like email. But as you start hiring more, like, it was interesting with the, um, uh, the management of my website portfolio, that if, if I had an A player in charge of that, I really wouldn't have had to do anything on those websites in the sense that they could have gone out and actually proactively tested things to improve my portfolio, things that I didn't even think about. And not even necessarily you know, going to me first, they would have gone and done a test and say, hey, Yarrow, I just increased the income from $500 to $600 a month through AdSense by just changing some, some ad placement. And I'd be like, that's great. I didn't even ask you to do that. And that's what an A player does. So that's why these companies spend so much time because eventually it really is a case of them doing a much better job than anyone else could do because you want to have the best person you can get in each different role. And for me, uh, studying all my different startups over the years, I've only ever looked for A plays as business partners. So when, um, when you are forming a team, um, you do need those people that are a lot better than you at different areas. Mm -hmm. So like you and you and I, when we started, uh, cranky ads, you were be so much better than me at uh, public speaking and marketing. You know, I was really good at programming. Mick was really good at design and HTML. So we made a really good team. Um, and that's, that's generally what you look for if you want to hire an A player. But one thing I just wanted to point out, when you do hire an A player, if you want to get them to take over more and more of the business, I always think it's a really good idea for them to have a bit of skin in the game. So if they're a business partner, then that's fine because they have part of the, you know, a share of the company. Equity. Equity. But if they're just an employee, then they're not going to be as motivated to really put their heart and soul into the business. Like a true A player will give you good results, but they might not stay till like 3 a.m. Mm. to get, get the job done. Yes. And if, yeah, if you can find out what, the A player really, really wants. Like sometimes the A player just wants a lot of money so they can go around the world. And if you can give them an incentive to, you know, 
achieve their goals by working in your company and really giving it their all, then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go above what they need to. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about the book again, Amazon, and the way employees would work on their weekends. Some would sleep in their cars and not go home at night. They just keep working often around Christmas time when they were trying to fulfill all these orders during the early days of Amazon. That's, you know, incredible motivation. And and they had things like stock options as potential uh, equity, like a form of equity. But a lot of them, I think, I don't know, there was like a corporate culture that you're either in at that level or you don't get the job. You know, it's just, it was an expectation very much set by Jeff at the top, uh, Bezos, Bezos, at the top of the company. So, you know, if you didn't sort of demonstrate that that's the way you're going to work, you're not going to have work-life balance. It was one of the things they talked about. Then don't, don't, you don't get hired. So, uh, yeah. I, I think that's all well and good as long as you're, you're paying your employees properly. So if you're paying them a really good wage. Or <laughs> Some of them weren't, giving... Walter. This is the crazy thing. They were like on minimum sort of 50 grand, 60 grand a year. A lot of it was you're part of a tech startup and you know you're you're going to get this potential uh, stock options at some point in the future that's going to make you seven figures rich you know well see that's that's good incentive but uh, as a personal example the very very first job i took i was offered uh, $50,000 a year and this mind you this was uh, 10 15 years ago um so i was offered $50,000 a year starting salary and that wasn't in the games industry. So then I went, oh, no, I don't want that. I'd rather work in the games industry. But they didn't tell me what my starting salary was like until the first day. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, okay, this, this is interesting. It's only 25000 a year. Wow. That seems very, very low. Oh, yeah, that's okay. It'll go up. This is just on a trial basis. And then, you know, I'd work weekends, <laughs> and Saturdays, Sundays, sometimes, you know, 14 days straight. And after three months, oh, yeah, okay, we've bumped you up to 32000 a year. Oh, oh and uh, for those two weeks that you've worked, um, yeah, we're going to graciously give you one day off. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's when it ended. I'm like, no, no, I'm happy to do like work on Saturday and Sunday if you know, I get compensated for that yeah, yeah. because otherwise you just get screwed. And you've got to watch that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's all well and good to work, uh, work overtime. But it has to, you know, be for something worthwhile, and not just, you know, lining the pockets of your boss oh, for sure. and nothing else. You know, if you're not improving the lives of millions of people, you know, in a charity, you don't, uh, you don't make much money, if any money at all. But you're improving the lives of lots and lots of people. So intrinsic there's, value. There's intrinsic value there. Yes. We should uh, bring this back to passive income. I think we, oh, yes. uh, we obviously can see the the connection between contractors and employees. Now, maybe like I'd really like to in the last sort of four minutes, three minutes we have here um, to go back to my early days and not really, really early days, but certainly the period of time where I was going, I need to find a way to make money without me needing to spend 10 hours a day or have a job. I just wanted as close to passive income as I could get or at least low labor income, highly leveraged income. So a little bit of work, big outcome. And that's why I actually eventually studied the 80-20 rule. It really was the foundation for me to create that sort of income was coming to grips with this idea that a small set of variables 
will be responsible for a lot of my outcomes. So in terms of income, if I do a few things well that don't take a lot of time, but I'll still derive at least a full-time income from them, that gives me a lot of spare time to figure out the rest of my life as well as potentially build a bigger business if, if that's where I want to go. So I remember, it's funny because I have this thing I call like the holy trinity of internet business and it's the things I was building over the sort of 10 years uh, of my career from the end of university up until maybe four or five years ago. And that was three things. The Holy Trinity are making enough money that you're actually satisfied financially, performing a role in the company that you own that you're passionate about, and uh, getting enough freedom in your life. So freedom, money, and passion combined and all in one business, ideally, or all in one life that you lead, basically. So I found with my first successful money-making website, which was about a card game, it wasn't financially lucrative enough. I had the freedom. I was passionate about the game for a while. I got over it eventually, but it certainly wasn't lucrative enough. And I didn't see it becoming lucrative enough without turning into a, a stupidly large e-commerce business, which would have been so stressful. The next one with my proofreading business, Better Edit, was closer. It was automated in the sense that I eventually hired an admin person. It made about 40 to 50 grand a year for me take home, which is pretty good, especially I was around the, you know, the early 2000s uh, to mid-2000s. Problem with that one, I wasn't really passionate about proofreading. <laughs> As you can imagine, I wasn't the proofreader and uh, you know, it was... It was a fun business to grow, but not one that I wanted to take on for the rest of my career sort of thing. But it did give me the freedom. The good thing about that business, it was reasonable income, not quite what I was after. I was pushing for six figures uh, or more, but it did give me the time to think about things. So it's kind of funny how you can sort of progress. And if you can build, and I think this is the path, the right path towards what we really want, which is all three of those, Holy Trinity. If you can focus first on the financial one and then the time one, it gives you the opportunity to discover the passion one, which isn't always obvious to you early days. Uh, it's obviously great if you can come out of the box and have your passion make you a ton of money and have a lot of spare time. That's very rare. I didn't know what my passion was either. It took me to figure out blogging and I liked writing and that's the area I enjoy. So... For me, creating first the income stream and then finding a way to make the income stream low labor, so highly leveraged, near passive income. And that's why if you have a bit of capital, the potential to buy a few websites, even if you're not passionate about the subject, gives you the, uh, the possible option of having some kind of income streams that then give you the freedom, the financial uh, flow, maybe not independence, but enough cash flow coming in. You can go, okay, I've got some security now and I've, I'm learning a lot about the internet thanks to these websites. How do I want to turn all these skills to tick the box on the passion one as well? So that's the process I went through on 10 years. And, and to conclude it, when I reached blogging and becoming a teacher trainer, I finally found something that made me over six figures a year. I had enough freedom in the sense that I only need to write to my blog a few hours a day and do my other things in that time. And also, I really enjoyed connecting with my audience and talking about these subjects and, you know, having a podcast and doing those things like we're doing now. So, you know, eventually I found that. And uh, I think that's the goal for everyone to get that holy trinity. So I don't know which one of those three things you're focused on the most, most right now, Walter, but I'm sure it's one of them. Yeah, definitely the, uh, the income first. And you make a good point, actually. The income, once you've got the income down pat, it relieves so much stress 
because uh, most of the time when you get started, you're just looking to cover bills. And once you've got that covered, you get that time and that, uh, yeah, that time to just think and that opens up your perspective and then everything else becomes a lot clearer after that. Mm. And you've done it through freelancing, which is kind of interesting, you know, rather than create a passive income or near passive income business, you've created a highly leveraged contracting business, which has given you the, it's given you the money and the freedom ones without maybe quite hitting the nail on the passion. Exactly. You haven't got it all mixed, I guess, in the right ratios. So, but you have done the first two well so that you have the time to yeah, develop that's something right. else. Yeah. Which, well, I've got the, um, I had the, the money, so the finance, thanks to the consulting company, and then the freedom afterwards. So I went and traveled uh, around the world for a little bit after, after we stopped the consulting company. But um, yeah, now I'm really getting into passive income primarily because you know, it's more sustainable. The consulting isn't, a, isn't obviously maintainable unless mm. you hire people and that gets very stressful. Which, yep. yeah. and, and like you said, you want that feeling, that wonderful feeling of passive income, which contracting isn't the same. <laughs> well, that's right. Exactly. Like when you, when you consult, I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned this uh, on the podcast, we certainly talked about it earlier, but when you're consulting, you might make, say, $1,000 or $3,000. And that's a wonderful feeling, but you know that's going to involve you know, many late nights up to 3 a.m. And there's always that uncomfortable feeling that comes with, you've made money. Uh, there's there's going to be money a very uncomfortable week. Yeah, <laughs> money equals work. I'll be dead at the end of the week, you know, just in bed, catching up on some sleep. And with passive income, even though it's, it's not that much money, it feels so much better. Mm. I still remember that first day I had my BlackBerry and it was the first time I ever had email on my phone and we were out playing pitch and putt, which you know very well, golf, mini golf mm, or love it. in between golf. <laughs> and uh, I got the email from Perry Marshall's affiliate program while I was on the golf course saying you just made $700 from selling a ticket to one of his events. And I only ever sold two tickets to his event. So it wasn't like a, a big, huge income earner, but it was $700 from one sale. And I was like, that's incredible. And it came in while I was on the golf course. That is awesome. So that for me was a defining moment of, uh, yeah, of how good the internet can be. Yeah, and, and that's, should... what you, that's what you want to get to. But um, <laughs> like... Like we've been reiterating, that usually takes a few months of planning and preparation before that happens. Yeah, that, that was two years of blogging before that happened for me. Well, so. there you go. <laughs> okay, uh, Walter, we have to wrap it up. We're well and truly over time today. So um, I just want to quickly give people the URL. If you have been listening and you're interested in my How to Buy and Sell uh, Blogs and Websites Guide, it's obviously on my blog, but it's also at ejinsider.com forward slash buy and sell. Or just go to my blog where you got this podcast, Entrepreneur's Journey, and you'll find a link to it there as well. Walter, any last uh, words before we end the show? Uh, no, but I'm sure I'll remember after we stop. So I'll mention <laughs> the next week. What are you doing this week, Walter? Give me a 30-second spin. Oh, this week, I need to automate my ad buying process so I don't lose $1,000 worth of ad sales. <laughs> Good call. And I'm going to be talking all week long about buying and selling blogs and websites as a promotion for the launch week of my guide. So that's it. Uh, Walter, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Yara. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. And we'll catch you again on the next episode of Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yara. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. 